of Romans. Here's where we are now. In the book of Romans, um, we said this for the past couple of weeks, that after verses, uh, chapter 11, where Paul has taken a long time in building the theological argument and then creating a framework of God's love for us and the possibility of the gospel in the life of a person, in the life of a community, in the life of the world. And not just the possibility, but the reality. Then the majority of us in this room have trusted in this good news of Jesus. Some of us haven't yet, but most of us have, and we've experienced the freedom from sin. We've experienced new life in Christ Jesus. We are experiencing now the growth of Christ within our lives, within our marriage, within our singleness, and so forth. We've seen the love of Christ being poured into our hearts as we continue to live as believers and followers of Jesus. And then when we got to chapter 12, we said, now Paul begins to talk about Christian ethics. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about worship as all of life. Last week, Dave came and began to talk about these spiritual gifts and how we are to look at ourselves um, and view ourselves not too high, not too low, but then to serve with the gifts that God has given us. And what we are entering into now, why we're going to one verse, is we believe this is a mini-series on love in Romans chapter 12. Different than what we'll hear about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is what you guys heard read during the call of worship. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a description of love. What Paul is doing here is he's giving us the exhortation of love, meaning he is commanding us to love. And when you read through Romans 12, especially beginning in verse 9, you begin to see a lot of exhortations or a lot of commands on what we ought to be doing. Those of us who are followers of Christ. And so this week, next week, the week after, and so forth, we'll have this mini-series of love, which starts this morning in chapter uh, 12, verse 9. Very, very short text, but it gives us a picture of what we are to be doing. And so if you're with me again, let's read it. Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. I, I love that Paul starts off with saying, let love be genuine. And what he, what he means here is all of us, we, we know what it's like when someone says they love us or someone is trying to communicate love to us, but we know it's fake, right? We have like this internal kind of uh, BS radar that goes, you're not telling the truth right now. Like I, I can tell, right? And usually it happens on Sundays. We have like the, the love bombers, right? The people who show up, how are you doing today? How, it's good to see you. And you're like, whoa, whoa. And then you walk in and you go back to say something to them and they're on to the next person, right? That's their job. They're called greeters. And if you want to do that, we'd love to have you out in the front, right? <laughs> we need that. We need that. Or, or the, the thing, and I've wrestled with this illustration, uh, if I was going to use this or not, but then it just made sense to me, is you know when, you, when you're around something and, and it's just a little bit over the top, it's not authentic, right? And I don't mean, mean to really throw this organization underneath the bus, but have you guys ever been the Dutch Bros? someone's been there. Um, if you've ever go to Dutch Bros, coffee is good, good coffee, not trying to, but if you ever drive through the drive-thru and you get a coffee there, what you get is the most over-the-top experience you could imagine. And it's usually like, how are you doing today? What's up? Nice tie. I don't have a tie. Oh, if you had a nice tie, it would be great. And it's like, so me and Jim Mullins, oh, you guys all know Jim? And here's the thing about this. You guys all know loving Jim, intellectual, metaphorical Jim. I, I know all of Jim, right? That's like my boy. And so Jim and I are going somewhere early in the morning. So let's stop at Dutch Bros. It's one of the only coffee places that's open. It's about 6, 6.30 in the morning. We're driving through the drive-thru, and he says to me, I'm glad that you're with me because at least I know they won't flirt with me now, right? Because that's usually how it goes. We pull up to the drive-thru, and the guy's like, hey, what's up? Sorry, the music's loud in here. We're kind of having a party in here right now. So what are you guys doing today? We're like, oh, we're on our way to work. Oh, where do you guys work? I'm sure it's awesome. And Jim goes, you know what I want to say? I want to say I work at a mortuary <laughs> and that we have a new shipment in. 
and I'm going in to just do work, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's Jim. Uh, me, I'm in the passenger seat praying for them, asking them how their life is, how I can lead them to Jesus. I, I, use, that, I use that because you, you guys have had that experience from people where you know, they, you, you, don't, you don't really love me, right? You don't, that's, you're just doing that right now. Paul is saying, when it comes to Christians, what we should be marked by is by love. Now, some of you are going, I know that. Most of you should know that. The person in this room, in this world that doesn't believe in Jesus, knows that Christians should be marked by love because God is love. We usually know that, especially in our culture. People know that we should be marked by love. However, I'm not exactly sure if that's what we're marked by. Like wearing a cross around your neck or buying a T-shirt or whatever it is that you do to kind of be a quote-unquote radical Christian doesn't mean that you're loving. doesn't mean that I'm loving. But he says, this is what you should be marked by. Jesus says this. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says the essence of the law could be boiled down to this, love. Um, or, or one of my favorite texts is in John chapter 13. Jesus talking to his disciples in verses 34 and 35. I think we have it up here on the screen. It says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He said, this is really simple. You want to want to know what the best evangelistic program could be? Not necessarily just knocking on doors, not just working your vocation in a way that shows and displays Christ. Love each other, meaning Christians loving other Christians. Those not like them who gather together primarily in the local church and saying, I, I love you. And I'm going to show love for you. I'm not going to just be over the top. I'm not going to just give you a high five, but not just work and love you on a Sunday. But I, I'm, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to do my best. And when I'm not, you can call me on it. And when you're not, I'm going to call you on it because we love each other. That, that when Paul, after laying out the gospel, he's saying, this is what you should have. He doesn't need to be descriptive of it because if you've gotten chapters 1 through 11, then you've understood that the love of God we see most clearly in Jesus and that when we were born into this world, that we had these bonds, we had these covenants, we had these relationships. That we had a relationship with sin by birth. We talked about that in Adam, in, in Adam it says, and in Adam we all die. And because of that, we had a relationship not only with sin, but we had a relationship with death. And then what Paul says now was now in Christ Jesus, that Jesus has done something for us. That in Christ, through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we've broken that relationship of sin. He says, you don't have to give yourself to sin anymore. And he uses it in relational terms. He says, don't, don't present your bodies, the members of your bodies, as instruments to sin, but do it as instruments of righteousness. Meaning that relationship is gone. Doesn't mean that you don't sin. Doesn't mean that you don't see sin. It's kind of, you can think of it like this. Most of us have had an experience where we've broken up with somebody. We don't want to be with that person anymore. And yet they're still around. We see them. There may be some emotional things that, that arise, but we're not with them anymore. Sin is around us, for sure, and we do sin, but we're not related to. We're not with sin anymore. That we have no relationship with death because in Christ, he broke that. He brought victory. He took on our penalty. He died for us. And so now what Romans begin to say is that we have this new relationship when fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That the Father becomes our Father through Christ. That Jesus becomes for us the word that Paul uses was propitiation, meaning he satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. That we are free. 
that now the Holy Spirit, it says in Romans chapter 5, that the Holy Spirit pours out the love of Christ in our hearts. And so now we have the love of God living in us. And so Paul says, now in view of those mercies, that was the beginning of chapter 12, your whole life for worship, look at yourself not too high, not too low, but as a community, he says, let love be genuine. Let it be genuine, meaning as you love and go, let it be an authentic love. Be honest about your love. Don't fake it till you make it. Many of us grew up in the 90s, and the 90s, the, the phrase where people who were acting like someone they weren't was poser, right? Like you would hate to be called a poser. You're like, you're a poser. Oh, no, what do you mean? Because you're trying to pretend that you're something that you're not. And so when Paul says let love be genuine, let me, let me think of an illustration for you. Is, um, when I was a junior going into my senior year, I took an acting class over the summer. Um, it was just a class to take for an elective, and I thought acting would be fun. Why? I have no idea. But my roommate said, we'll do it. And so me and two of my roommates took this acting class, and we had this, I don't know if you guys have ever taken an acting class before, and I don't know if all acting instructors are like this, but this guy was amazing. One, he had this unique hair, hairdo that he was bald up here, but then had dreads from the side of his head, like down to his waist, right? And he was just super kind of just flamboyant. He'd always be moving around. And he would, like, we would do these exercises like, okay, take your, take your, take your cheeks and do this. Okay, now do your lips like this. Okay, and he, and he would always say this, Ricardo, your lips are like the biggest here. You could do this. Just do it. Okay, that's just an exercise. And he was just always, just, don't talk from your throat or your nose, from your mouth. And I'm like, I've never talked from my throat or my nose. I only know how to talk from my mouth, right? So one of my roommates was excellent. Like, I couldn't believe how good he was at acting. Like, the professor begged him to switch his majors and get into, and get into acting. He was amazing. I was average, like average, you know, like anybody else in the class. And then my other buddy might be the worst actor ever, right? Whatever stereotype you have of a 6'4 jock football dude coming to a class, you were like, yes, that, that was him. One, he never could memorize the lines, and it wasn't like we had these long monologues. It was just like, say who you are, state your character, and say this line, and he could never do it. And so our, our, our teacher would like line us up. There was only like 10 of us in the class. You go, and someone would do a line. You go. And they'd get to my buddy. I don't, I don't want to say his name, but I, uh, let, <laughs> I'm not going to say his name. Um, they'd get to him, and he was so bad, and he'd be like, all right, say your part. And he would just talk in this monotone voice. It was like, uh, my name is Forrest Gump, right? It was just like... But he couldn't even do that. If you gave him Forrest Gump, he couldn't do it. So finally, the teacher is trying to draw it out of him, and he, and he tries to get tough and get bold. And he's like, the teacher goes, every character you act is the same. You're the same person. It's just you. Can you act? And he goes, well, that's the thing. Like, I'm just me, you know, and I always try to keep it real. You know, I ain't trying to, I ain't trying to be nobody else. And he looks at us like, no, you look at your boys like, right, right. And we're like, no. <laughs> it's an acting class. The whole point of this is that you act, right? It's like, yo, I'm just trying to keep it real. Okay, yeah, yeah, keeping it real goes bad, right? Here, here, he, he was the worst actor ever. Here's what Paul is saying when he says, let love be genuine. He's saying, be like my buddy. The, the language, uh, when it says genuine love, or in your translation, it may say sincere love, it means to be unexperienced in the art of acting. And don't fake it. Don't just pretend. There is, in this morality that many of us were raised in in Christianity, there is this thought to just be good, be good, be good. We tell our little boys, we tell our little girls, just be good, be good. Um, and don't get me wrong, there, the, we should have morality, it matters. But, but at the heart of it, that what Paul is saying is, 
let love just be who you are. The one thing that my, my buddy had right, terrible in an acting class, but in life is, all I can be is me. And then what you see is what you get. I'm not going to put on a different mask over here than a different mask over there. When people tell me, like, oh, Ricardo, we think you're so relational. You see me on a Sunday. That didn't count. Like, I try to be relational, but it's a Sunday. It's a work day for me. If you catch me Monday through Saturday and you see it, then you can say, okay, that, that mark fits him. Don't, don't, don't give your pastors a pass because on Sunday we said hello to you. We have to. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a reality of that. Let love be genuine. And here's why this is really wrecking me. I believe God did this. I don't think this could have been Satan because he wouldn't do this. Is the other night, um, about Monday night and then Tuesday night, I woke up around the same time in the middle of the night, 1, 1.30, and I couldn't sleep. And I was rested. I don't know if you guys ever had that where you wake up early and then you still can't sleep, but you're rested. So I said, okay, what I'll do is I'll pray and I'll read my Bible. No joke. I know I'm always joking about that. I really did pray and read my Bible. I didn't fast that time, but I did pray and read my Bible. And so I opened my Bible. For whatever reason, I said, I'm going to read through Philippians. And I got through Philippians, and I got to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, and it was almost as as if those pages jumped off and, and just read me, right? No, sometimes you can read the Bible, and sometimes you feel like the Bible's reading you. And it was just a conviction of saying, and, and when you read Philippians 2, what it says is essentially there, put the interests of others above your own. Like, don't be at the middle of it. Like, don't, don't have to be the hero of every story. And I felt like God was challenging me on that. And throughout the week, things just stopped coming up that I feel like the Holy Spirit, and it had to be the Holy Spirit. It couldn't have just been my conscience, and it definitely wasn't Satan. So it had to be the Holy Spirit teaching me, like, love better. That my love sometimes for my wife, for my children, for my church, for my friends, sometimes is scripted. Meaning, it's not something that's genuine. That is thinking about the other as more important than myself. And it's very convicting. Someone was talking about, there's a comedian called Brian Regan, and he's got this thing called the Me Monster. And, and, and one of his little you know, comedy skits, and he just goes around talking about that guy, right? We all know that guy. That guy, and he's talking about that guy who every time you tell a story, he tells a better story. Like, I got two wisdoms he pulled. I got nine pulled, right? Like, that guy. And he goes, and he goes I, w- I just want to be like one of the 12 men that were an astronaut, you know, that walked in the moon. He goes, you know why? Because I could be in a story of people, and people, like, all the me monsters could be telling their story, and I could be eating, and I can wait till they're all done and be like, hmm, you done? I walked on the moon, Right? <laughs> I'm laughing at this, and I'm watching it, and I'm going, maybe I'm a me monster. Maybe it's about me. And, and Paul is saying, when he's calling us to love, he's saying, don't make it about you. you. You know what it's like when you see it, and it's not real, and it's not authentic, it's not honest, it's not who people are. But then don't we equally know when it's real? Don't you guys know people that when you're around them, you just know they love everybody. But they don't just love me. They love everybody. We all have people that we know that when we sit down with those people, you feel like there could be a thousand people around, but I always feel like it's just me and them. They have an ability somehow to just make it about me in that moment and never about them. There, there, was, a, there was a couple that, um, that my wife and I were with, and we had an opportunity to hang out with this couple. And, and I say it was an opportunity because this guy himself has meant so much to me from the books and stuff that he's written. He's kind of a uh, famous person in the Christian world, especially for pastors, a theologian. And, um, and I'm always curious to see what people who are famous or people who are really, really popular, what they look like and what they act like with normal people. When they're just with no, like just normal people like you and I, how they act. And we went and we were around tons of people. And the one thing we said driving home, my mom, my, 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 mom, my wife, who's not my mom? <laughs> my wife said this to me. 
she said, uh, did you notice like how they treated everybody? I mean, as she's talking, she starts tearing up and I start tearing up because there was something when you get close to that such genuine affection and love that you go, that is so other, right? The waitress, or the waiter would come and the way that they treated them was not just a thank you. I can't, you can't even mimic it because it wasn't just what they said. It was just the way in which they said it. There was an ethos about it. It was like, wow, they really mean that. And it was like that to whoever was in the room, whether it was other, you know, prestigious people or people who were just serving at the hotel that we were at eating dinner. It was like, they, 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 they know how to treat others in such a way that we felt like we had been best friends for, with them forever. Paul's saying, that's genuine love. That when the cameras are gone, when, when it's not Sunday, whatever your Sundays may be, that you don't just love because you have to, you love because it's a part of you, that you've been so affected by the love of Christ that you can say like Paul that the love of Christ compels or controls me, he says in Corinthians. Because I've concluded this, Jesus died, and therefore all have died. And so now he says, because of what Christ has done for me, I live not for my own sake, but for those around me. I live for the other, the very essence of Christianity, love God and love your neighbor. It never says love God, love yourself. It says, love God and love your neighbor. We already know how to love ourselves. It's something we don't need to be taught about that. And Paul says, let your love be genuine. Amen? We, we could just close right there, but they want me to keep going. So <laughs> here's what we have, love being genuine. But love, hear this, love is not just some emotional do this, don't do that. Um, it's not, also, it's not directionless. And so what Paul says next seems to catch people by surprise. And um, as he continues here in verse 9, he says, let love be genuine. But then he says, abhor what is evil. The second point here is he says, abhor what is evil. That literally means to hate something. And you go, how could he talk about love and in the same sentence go to hate? Because we think somehow that love is the opposite of hate. No, 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 no. It's not. Love is not the opposite of hate. It's not like that with God, right? Because what happens naturally is when we think about God, we go, well, God is love. Therefore, God can't hate anything. Says who? Says who? God does hate things. And we, we read about that in Scripture, in, in Proverbs chapter 6 here. Um, you, you this clear list of seven things that God hates. That's not it. <laughs> but I'm going to read it for you guys, though, too. I know, I know where it is. It's in Proverbs chapter 6. I appreciate you, 9 o'clock. <laughs> you, guys, you guys get it. Okay, here's what we have. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 9, it says this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are, that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, that means being prideful. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. Um, the writer of Proverbs here is saying God hates these things. You see God talk about in Malachi, you see God talk about in Amos, how he hates fake religion. And what he mean by fake religion is just going through the motions. Every Christian in here right now should feel indicted on that. He's just going through the motions. He goes, and one of the texts, he said, I wish you could just shut the doors and don't come in and do this thing because you're not doing it out of love and affection towards me. So we see God hates. He hates evil and he hates sin. And if we are created in his image, which we are, we know intuitively, whether you love Jesus or not, because you love things, you will hate things. One of my favorite uh, people in history is Frederick Douglass. And I don't know if you know about Frederick Douglass, but 
he did a lot of great things here. He was African-American, freed himself from slavery and abolitionist, and, and talking about his hate for the true Christianity because he, excuse me, his love for true Christianity, because he had a love for what is pure, he hated what he saw in his land. And here's what he said this, I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. I look upon it as the climax of all misnomers and the boldest of all frauds and the grossest of all libels. He's saying, because I love so much what is true about Jesus, I hate what's not true and what's being portrayed this way. We, we bring it personally. Because we love certain people, um, we hate when we see anything happening to those people. And what happens when it comes to this, this type of love is, I believe we're not the best at it. Even though Paul says this was, we're supposed to have. Here, here's what I mean by this. This love also confronts. This love confronts and speaks truth. Because there is such a thing as love and it's objective, because we could see this love in Christ and it's something that's been poured into our hearts that we have to be honest. And here's what happens is, let me just give you a couple examples of this. In marriages, what, we, what happens is a, a married woman and husband will not confront each other because they are afraid to lose their love. It happens in dating relationships. It happens in parenting, which to me is no longer love. That's no longer genuine love. As a parent, if you fail to discipline your kids, you don't love your kids. You don't. I, mean, I, I, was, I was talking to a gal who does a lot of babysitting, and she was babysitting someone's kids, not from this church, and they were seriously, they, they, they refuse in discipline. They feel like their kids should be able to do whatever they want. The kid's four. And I'm like, okay, that to me is a form of abuse. When you won't want to correct, you don't want to put any boundaries, and you don't want to discipline your kid, that, that, that's, that's not love. If we look at God as our father, and he says, I discipline those in whom I love, as a child of God, if we are not experiencing any levels of discipline, we should be questioning, God, do you love me? Um, and this happens because we want our kids, we want our spouses, we want our boyfriends, we want our friends, we want our people around us to love us so much that we're not willing to be truthful. I mean, even to the point of something stuck in someone's teeth, ooh, I want them to like me, that looks terrible. Let them go, right? I mean, th this, th the reality of this, this, is, this happens, and therefore, that's no longer genuine love. Hear me on this. As people in relationships and parents, that's not genuine love. True love will always confront. It, it's, it's why Jesus says, listen, you got to understand your own sin, right? You, 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 you have a log in your eye, but the other person has a plank. We usually take that verse. We usually take that verse and says, wait till I get everything out of my life, and then I'll confront someone else. No, it's just understanding when it comes to your sin, your sin has to look huge, but that doesn't mean that you don't confront your neighbor, your friend, your spouse, your child. <laughs> your child. Because when you, when you don't do it, it's a lack of love. When you don't do it with brothers and sisters in Christ, it's a lack of love. And that means we could be allowing each other to go on sinning. We could be allowing each other to no longer live in this genuine love. Because we think that we're in doing so, because we, we, we really love ourselves in that moment. I don't want you to think different of me. And I don't want you to think the things that will happen. To, that, I don't want you to do things to me that I don't want to be done. Therefore, let's just kind of keep it. You do you, you do me, I'll do me. And that's not love. That's a selfish love, which is no longer genuine love. Um, when, it, when it comes to this, um, Becky Pippert, who has a book, um, and she says this better than I think anybody. And she says, Think of how we feel when we see someone 
we love ravaged by the unwise actions or relationships. Real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. Nearly a century ago, theologian E.H. Gifford wrote, Human love here offers a true analogy. The, the more a father loves his son, the more he hates in him the drunkard, the liar, the traitor. The fact is, anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. Meaning, if you love, you are going to hate. If you love supremely who, who God is and what God is doing, then you will see the things he hates and then you will hate it. You will look at the things even in your own life and you will hate it. Let's get real personal here. Oftentimes, we say we hate sin, but the reality of it is we hate the consequences of sin. Ask yourself the honest question. If there is something I love this, like whatever your sin is that you know you go to, if there were zero consequences on that, and God was saying there's zero consequences, you don't have to worry about it, would you do it? Even though God said it's still sin. Most of us would. Some of us have never done, quote unquote, the bad sins, because one, we're just, we're just natural sweethearts, really. Um, many of us haven't done it because we know what it would look like. And the higher your position, or whatever it may be, whatever company you're in, organization, or if you're, if you're an RC leader or a pastor, for goodness sake, you're not going to do those things because you know why? If I do those things, this is what's going to come about for me. You don't really hate sin. You hate the consequences of sin. Genuine love hates sin. Genuine love confronts sin, not only in the other, but in your own life. And that's, again, something we have to ask ourselves personally, is that, is that me? Do I look at the abuse in this world and do I hate it? Do I look at adultery and do I hate it the way God hates it? Do I look at abandonment and do I hate it the way God hates it? When I, when I look at sicknesses, when I look at the way sin has ravaged this world from a cosmic perspective all the way to my own life, do I hate it the way God hates it? Paul says, if you have this genuine love, it's not fake, you're not posing, then you'll hate it. In fact, it's a command. Let love be genuine and abhor what is evil. And then Paul finishes with this last point, and he says this in verse 9, um, hold fast to what is good. And so you kind of have these pictures of a negative and a positive. Let love be genuine. That's, that's how everything's hanging on this love, being genuine. And because of it, you're going to hate certain things. You're going to reject certain things in your life. You're going to look at your own life, the life of others, the life of our community, and say, where can we engage to push back the effects of the fall of sin in our culture? We're going to hate those things. And then we're going to be able to hold fast to what is good. Now, what we have here is when it comes to hate, hate the things of this world, you've got to look at two pictures here. First, hate the things of, your, of, of evil is um, things that you don't want in you. And you know how you want to get to the point where we can pray that God would give us the uh, opportunity to hate sin the way he hates it. And if you've ever had food poisoning, right? Some of you guys have had that. Whatever you ate before you had that terrible experience the next few or four days, you don't want that anymore, right? To this day, I cannot eat mushrooms. If I see mushrooms, oh, oh, right? We want to be allergic to sin in that way. And then the picture here of holding fast to something that is good, it literally means to be glued to, to be committed to. It's the same language that we read in Genesis. It's the same language that we read about in Matthew. Every time, it's talking about a covenant. Usually, it's the wife being married to her husband and saying, cleave to one another or cling to one another, meaning grab on and don't let go. Um, this, this picture of saying, I am so committed to you, you are so committed to me, good or worse, all the vows that we say, sickness or in health, um, I'm with you. Now, I know as soon as I say that, many of you are going, 
I'm from a divorced family. I've been divorced. I'm on the verge of something like that. Um, and so it's hard for us to understand. Paul's saying, no, no, no. Just because those, are, those have happened and that's the world we live in, that's still the command what God is saying. And so when it comes to us personally, genuine love, hating what's evil, we got to find out what's good. What are the things in your life that raise your affections for Jesus? What are the things in your life? Who are the people in your life? What are the activities that the more you do those things, the more you find yourself being drawn to the presence of God? What, what are the things that you know that are loving acts to the people that are around you, the people in your family, the people in your neighborhood, the people you work with? What are those things? Cling to those things. What are the things in Scripture that we read about? When Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, love being patient and kind and not ending and not boasting, love endures all things. Do more of those things. He's saying, as Christians, not just as an individual, as a people, if you are marked by genuine love, here's what you will see. There will be things in your life that you will push back because of sin, and there'll be things that you will cling to. And either, every one of us have different things that we find ourselves being drawn to that reminds us of the love of Christ, that reminds us of the love of God. It may be small walks with your wife. It, it, it may be things that you do with your friends. It definitely is God's word being exposed to those things. But he's saying, cling to those things. It may be standing in the gap and speaking up on things that are unjust in our culture. He says, cling to those things. Be glued to them. Don't ever let them go. Don't ever let them go. So here's what Paul has. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. And then cling to, hold fast to, that is good. The picture of clinging to me, um, of holding fast to something is good, is if you've ever seen a two-year-old and his mom. Have you ever seen that picture where the two-year-old becomes like a, almost like a, like a raccoon or something, finds the mom and laps onto the legs, and the mom's like talking to you. Yeah, he just does this thing, right? And it's just like, I'm not letting go. Have you ever seen that they bury their face in there? They chew through the mom's leg? I mean, it's like, he's saying, there's the picture. Whatever is good, find yourself doing that as much as possible. So here's what I want to be able to do. Just four things as we walk away. Uh, four things to so the three things that Paul gives us. You're giving us an extra one. That's right. Um, the fourth one, will make everything else make sense. First one, here's, when it comes to let love be genuine, we're not natural lovers, guys. We're not natural lovers the way that God loves us. And nor are we going to find this love outside of ourselves. This love comes from Jesus. But it's something that's got to be practiced, not faked. Practice. It's just like anything else you've ever done in your life. Most, most of you brush your teeth every morning. And you get used to that. Whatever those motions are, it becomes habit. Like, no one has to tell you in the morning, like, my kid, wake up, brush your teeth. You get to tell kids this thing. No one has to tell you that anymore because it's been practiced. It's been practiced so much that it becomes a habit. Practice love. Look in ways in which you can practice and love people around you until it becomes a habit. Two, hate sin and hate evil. Don't just hate the consequences of sin. Hate sin in your life and the life of others. And hate evil. The reason why I say use evil and sin not interchangeably, there's just evil in this world. There's demonic activity. There's systemic activities that are not just so individual that you can see and you can go, I hate the effects of this. Um, I hate the effects of this particular industry and what it's doing in our culture. I hate, I hate the effects of what divorce is doing in our culture. I hate these things. And so how do I enter in and hate, not hate the person, love the person, and yet hate the, the sin that they find themselves and the evil so intertwined in. Number three is, he said this, do more of the things that raise your affections for Jesus. We have to make, we have to be intent. Guys, look, look, look at, now I feel like a coach. Eyes up. We got to do more of this. You know that, oh, the alarm's going off. I, I, I probably should do it. Not probably, do it. Um, when it comes to the thing that raise our affections for God, 
We have to cling to, do those things. If you don't know, get with some friends, get with your spouse and say, what are those things? What do you do? How do you do? And do them. Don't, I'm going to get to them once school. No, no, do them. And then make that a habit as well. And lastly, this one will make the most difference. You got to look to the cross. Here's how, this, this verse makes sense only by looking to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can embody this and has embodied this perfectly. But on the cross, Jesus, what? You showed one, his love for the world. His genuine love for the world. There was no fake. You can't fake dying. There was no faking it. On the cross, we see the love of God when God himself loves this world and he gives himself for the world. And then also we see his hatred towards sin and evil because he absorbs the wrath of our sin and through the cross and the resurrection promises one day to rid evil of this world without getting rid of us. And so this genuine love and then a boring evil and then holding fast to what's good, that's not stuff that we're going to find within. Our culture tells us you're not going to find it within. This is something that you look to Jesus, not just as an example, but a redeemer who gives you this type of love. The access that we have to this love, the strength that we have to this type of love only comes in Jesus. When you meditate, don't, when you meditate on the cross, don't go past it too fast. That's what communion is for. It's to remind us, that's right, God loves genuine. He abhors what's evil. And the only way that God himself was able to cling on to us, not about us clinging on to him, that's not what Christianity is about. It's about God reaching down and clinging on to us is through the love of Jesus. That we are not people who hold fast to God, but the gospel lets us know that in his love, he holds fast to us. Amen? Let's pray.